Amen. What a day of joy uh, for us here today. If you have a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14, just a few verses, but packed, packed, truth-soaked verses this morning. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Let's pray together. Oh God, this world is cursed. And aside from Jesus, so are we. But today, Father, I pray that we would see clearly and experience deeply the delivery we have from the cursedness of the world through faith in Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm, I'm confident that you feel the weight of the curse that's on the world. Now, I know some of you are used to me being this Joel Osteen type preacher. And when you saw, uh, that was a joke. But anyway, so when you saw this title, Cursed, everybody likes to dunk on Osteen. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, well, anyway. You saw this title, Cursed, you were probably surprised, you know? It's not very upbeat. But the backdrop of the good news we preach and the backdrop of the good news we believe is really, really bad news. It's, it's the bad news of what sin has done to the world. It's the bad news of the curse. I, I'm sure you feel the weight of the curse on, on the world. There's not one grief, there's not one sadness, there's not one pain, there's not one sickness that you've ever experienced in your life. Not one of those things that you've ever experienced in your life that was not a direct result of the curse of sin on the world. Now many of you might have been raised in a tradition or heard people preach and teach sort of like every time you stub your toe that was some sin you committed, God was getting you back for that. Or if you get sick... That's because you had some sin. And so I don't want you to mishear me in saying that every grief you've ever had or every sickness or every pain or every sadness that you've ever had in your life was directly related to some sin you experienced. It's not the case. In fact, some came and tried to test our Lord one time and who sinned this man or his parents. And Jesus pointed them to essentially the curse. If you don't repent and believe, the same sort of fate will befall you. The same when a tower had fallen in Siloam, the Lord responded in a 
similar way. This is, this is what I want you to see. Don't, don't you feel the weight? Haven't you experienced this year grief and sadness and pain? Some of you sickness. Some of you have watched others go through that. Um, our church has been in such a profound season of grief over the last couple of months where we've just seen tremendous loss, people who are sick, people who are suffering. Some of you right now today could barely get ready for church this morning because of the profundity of your grief, the challenge of your life. And my guess is there are stories I don't know. There are stories I don't know that are worse than I can imagine. All of us, even if we're having the best year we can imagine, all of us unquestionably can feel the weight of the curse around us. And conventional wisdom and even some in our own day teach that the only way to be free from the curse is to be obedient to God. If you would just act right, right? If you would just tighten things up and do a little better, you would be free from the curse. And there are some people who not only twist the Old Testament to teach that, but in our own day, there are people who twist the New Testament, who twist the gospel of grace to to defraud people, to steal money from them in the name of God by telling them if they only had faith, they could be healed. Or if they only had a little more faith, they could be more blessed. Or if they only had a little more faith, they could have this, they could have that. It's a total misunderstanding of what the Bible means by blessing. And I believe their condemnation is just. I think they're bringing condemnation on themselves by the false gospel that they proclaim. This morning, though, I want to say something different than that. Because Paul turns all of this on its head in, a, in an allusion, I think, to Deuteronomy chapter 26 and 27, where if you're not careful, you might miss this. Paul sets two realities against one another. Notice what he says back up in one verse in verse 9. Do you see it? So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all, verse 10, who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Do you see this juxtaposition of blessing and curse? To be blessed or to be cursed? And, and all throughout the Old Testament you see this theme. And in fact, if you think about it, almost every religion has something like this in its most rudimentary forms. Even something as basic and pagan as occultism has sort of a dichotomy between blessing and curses. In fact, that's what you want to make sure. You, you, in fact, if you look at old pagan religions, that's what you're trying to make sure of. That they're blessed by the gods and not cursed by the gods. Here we see the way that the gospel turns every single piece and every single aspect of human wisdom upside down. Because what we hear and what we're told is if you do right, if you act right, if you make God happy, He'll bless you. As one rapper says, praises go up, blessings come down. But what the gospel says is that righteousness is not by works. 
It's not even by works of the law that God Himself gave. That law was given to show us our sinfulness so that we would be pressed into faith in Jesus. Trusting in Christ. All those, Paul says, the opposite is true. All those who try to rely on works of the law are cursed. My friends, you cannot work your way out of curses. You cannot work your way out of the curse of sin. And you cannot work your way into the blessings of God. It's not by works. It's only by faith. So what should we do? I, I want to show you this morning three truths from this text of Scripture that I think will help you understand the curse and will help you understand what it means for you to respond to Jesus in faith, whether that's for the first time as an unbeliever or don't think for a moment that, believer, that you don't need to respond to Jesus in faith today. That's not to say that you need to be saved again, but that you need to be reminded by faith. You need to see Jesus and trust Him to grow in Christ as well. Three truths this morning that I think will help you understand God's curse on sin and how God wants you to respond by faith. Here's the first. The first point this morning is this. The law cannot give relief from the curse. The the law cannot give relief from the curse. Do you see what verse 10 says? It's not, again, it's not happy, shiny verse here. Listen to it. Some of you, this may sound like the worst thing you've ever heard in your life. Okay, that's a good first step. If this sounds terrible to you, you, you might be on the scent of grace today. Listen to what the Bible says. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, or for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, what you're probably doing, if I had to guess, is you're pulling out the hand of cards you've got there and you're counting your cards up. Right? And you're looking and you're saying, well, yeah, this one's useless. On lying, thou shalt not lie. I'm not so great at that. Um, but I'm doing pretty good here. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm doing well there. So I, I feel like I've not murdered anyone today. I think I'm doing okay. And you put your cards back up and you put them back in and, and you, you move on. As you say, well, listen, I'm not really relying on works of the law, but and maybe, maybe I'm doing pretty good or whatever else. But listen to what the Bible says. I want you to feel the weight of this. The Bible says all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, maybe you're holier than me. You you probably are. Maybe you're more righteous than me, and you probably are. But at the same time, it's hard for me to believe that there's a soul in this room. By faith in what the Word of God teaches and by experience in being a pastor in ministry for 15 years now, It's hard for me to believe that there's anyone in this room who's doing all the things written in the law. Who's got a perfect track record. 
And maybe you say, listen, I've, I've nailed it on the Ten Commandments this week. Let's switch over to the Sermon on the Mount. How are you doing there? I've not murdered those people, but I'd hate for a recording of what I said to them in my car to get loose. The Bible says if you so much as call someone a fool, a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That's not the Matt Alexander version. That's the Jesus Christ Himself version of the Bible. It's what our Lord Himself said. And some of us got a sense of anonymity because we're online and we'll say anything. It would be better for some of you to use the word fool than some of the things you say to people and about people. This is why I think that legalists tend to institute so many man-made rules. And I think it's oftentimes why you see in a legalistic movement, you see the way that man's rules are held higher than God's because we've got to sequester this off. We've got to kind of cull these rules and we've got to add some that we know we can do in order to justify to ourselves that we're doing all God's asked us to do. Because we can't keep God's law, we have to add our own. And you'll notice it's usually stuff they don't want to do anyway. You ever seen just a fantastic legalistic dancer? No. They can't dance anyway. That's why they say you can't dance. You get the point. We add rules. We add rules. We add laws. We add rules and laws to try to say to ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not. Paul then shows them, he says, don't you know, don't you know that nobody, that no one is justified before God by the law? Because over in Habakkuk it says the righteous shall live by faith. And then he says again, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Do you see what he's saying? The law will not give you relief from the curse. In fact, the opposite is true. The law is not able to produce righteousness because it's not in and of itself of faith. And he gives a verse to explain this. The one who does them shall live by them. If you decide, I want to live by the law, the Bible says you are under a curse because you're expected to obey all the law. And between you and God, all you have is His perfect standard of righteousness clearly declared to you through His Word in His law. It's not a good mediator. It's not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. My friends, the Ten Commandments can't transform society. Every time you decide it's time to cluck your tongue at the way the world is again, and you say, you know what they really need to do? They need to go to Sunday school and learn God's commandments. I want you to get a ruler out and slap yourself on the hand. And that's not to say that God's commandments aren't a blessing and a gift. They are. But they are unable to transform society. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, they didn't even transform Israel, did they? Israel was punished by God. M many of Israel perished in the wilderness, having seen mighty acts and great acts of mercy of God with their very own eyes. Nonetheless, they perished in the wilderness. They died lost. Descendants of Abraham, the man of faith. Don't you... Don't you see this reality? The, the law, the Ten Commandments, the law cannot transform society. Slap yourself on the hand with a ruler and say, no, these people need to hear the gospel. <laughs> these people need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't think they deserve it. We think they need to spend some time in the law first. 
These people are pagans. They're heathens. Their mamas didn't teach them any better. We need to go teach them what's right before we go tell them about grace. They might take advantage of it. No, my friends, only the gospel can transform society. Only the gospel can transform your heart. Some of you may still be clinging to the law. There are all sorts of ways that people try to create law in the world today. And, 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 and they're trying to cling to it, being right in this way or being right in that way. We sure, the last thing we could ever do is say we're wrong. We can't do that. So we hang on to it. And deep down in our hearts, we hear a voice that says this, if I leave this law, if I let go of this law, later Paul, later Paul describes the law like a tutor or a governor. You're on the bicycle of life and you need the training wheels of the law. And you say, if I take these training wheels off, if I lose my tutor, I'll fail miserably. I'll fall flat on my face. In fact, if I leave the law and go to grace, I'll be cursed. You're hanging on to a life raft that's sinking as well. The opposite's true. If you hang on to the law, you'll be cursed. But if you will cling to grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you will be blessed of God. How? How is this the case? How can God be gracious to sinners who have violated the law? How can God be just? How can God be just and save you? That's the second point. Listen to this. Jesus Christ became the curse for you. Jesus Christ became the curse for you. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. My friends, this is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was punished for you as your substitute at the atonement at the cross. He, he put forth a sacrifice for your sins as your substitute, and He received the punishment that you deserved. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law you so desperately need to be redeemed. You need to be purchased with a price. The Bible uses language as if you're a slave. That you're owned. And there you were on the auction block under the curse. A slave to the world, to your own flesh, and to the devil himself. All you can serve is sin apart from Jesus. And there you were on the auction block, chained, chained with your own guilt and condemnation, and you had nobody there to purchase you from your awful condition. What did you have to offer to purchase yourself? You're hopeless. You're in filthy rags. The Bible says the best you can offer your righteousness is as filthy rags. You were hopeless. Can you imagine being in that place? Hopeless to provide the price of redemption for yourself. And yet, someone did. 
When you were totally unable to, Jesus came and He offered the price required, redeeming you from the curse of the law. How could He pay that price? How could He do it? Jesus Christ became the curse for you. All of the wickedness of the ages. You think this is a sinful age? They've all been sinful. And there are things that we hide and are ashamed of today that 3,000 years ago people would have been proud of. All of the pent-up anger that the Father had. The Bible says that He withheld judgment. We think so much and so often about Sodom and Gomorrah and it troubles our hearts and souls that God would judge a place. But what's amazing is that God hasn't judged the whole world. Every last curse that Jew and Gentile deserved for their sin. Sometime, if you have a Bible app, just search for the word curse and read. We like to search blessing, but go just read all the curses that are there in the Old Testament when you sin. (coughs) All of that. All of that touched down on the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. There's not one pain. There's not one sorrow. There's not one grief that you have experienced that is not due to the curse of sin. And so often we feel like God is out there and distant, and maybe He doesn't even care about our pain and suffering. I I think that's the thing I hear most from people who struggle to believe in Jesus, is trying to wrestle with how God can be loving and caring and yet still allow suffering. And for me, the thing I go back to, is that there's not one grief, there's not one sorrow, there's not one pain in this life that the Lord Jesus didn't share in when He suffered the curse of sin on the cross. He who did not spare His own Son, but He freely gave Him up for us all, the Bible said. There's not one pain, there's not one sorrow, there's not one torment that any human being has ever suffered that the Lord Jesus didn't taste Himself at the cross. There's nothing you've experienced that the Lord Jesus can turn a deaf ear to, that He can turn a blind eye to, that He could be glib or indifferent about because He Himself suffered. He became a curse for us. All of the sin and the doom and the gloom and the misery that we deserve, all that we deserve because of our sin was drunk down at the cross by the only one who deserved none of it. Don't you see this? Don't you see the beauty of the cross? Don't you see what the Bible says? Anyone who is condemned by the law and is put to death was then later set to be hung on a tree so that everyone could see that this person had violated the covenant, that this person had disobeyed God's law, that this person was cursed. And yet here the Bible says everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And there the Lord Jesus was pinned to the cross for your sin, for what you deserve, for what Matt Alexander has done, not for what he did. He kept the covenant perfectly, but he became a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus took the punishment, the wrath that you deserved for your sin. Didn't just taste the curse like we taste the curse. He became the curse. A forsakenness that we can't comprehend, but was reality for the Lord Jesus. Oh, isn't that enough? 
Isn't that enough mercy? Isn't, isn't that enough mercy to make us skip out of here? To, to make us overflow with joy? We are a singing, joyful people because of this. It's why we call it Good Friday. It's why we celebrate on Easter. Because the punishment that we deserve, Jesus took. Oh, but it gets better. It's better than that. God's not just merciful for us. He's gracious to us. He's gone above and beyond. He's great. He's given us something greater than what we could ever ask or imagine. Listen to the last point. Blessing is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our last point, our third point. Blessing is through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see what he says? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit by faith. Not only are you forgiven, and that's enough to make you happy, you are more than forgiven. There are benefits and results of your salvation that are glorious. You have been adopted, the Bible says, into the family of God. You have received righteousness, the Bible teaches, from Jesus through imputation. You are promised heaven forever. But here, Paul happens to highlight two things. That Jesus became the curse for you, and that you receive Christ's righteousness, and that through faith you receive the promised Spirit. And because of that, you are as much a recipient of the blessings of God as Abraham himself. Now the Bible says that Abraham longed to look into what God was doing. That even Abraham didn't fully understand what God was doing, how God was at work in his life and in the life of his family. And so Abraham had all sorts of blessings he could touch. He had a bunch of blessings he could spend. He had other blessings he could eat. right? He had all the things that a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher, if you'll turn the channel long enough on TV, or if you go home this afternoon and find him, or go on the internet, he had every single thing that you could imagine that you would want in terms of earthly blessings, and yet the Bible says he still longed for the city of God. He still longed to look into the gospel. Abraham was blessed materially so he could sustain a people from whom eventually the greatest blessing of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come. And now, by faith, like Abraham received the promise by faith, by faith, you receive those blessings of God, not only like Abraham did, but in an even greater way, because you can see things Abraham could not see. Do you see what Paul's saying? You, Gentile, are not a second-class citizen in His kingdom because just like God's people by faith in Jesus are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you, by faith in Jesus, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You have the very presence of God in your everyday life. You are indwelled by Spirit. And there's no showing in the flesh, whether you are a child of Abraham or not, there's no showing in the flesh that says anything like the fact that you have the very Spirit of God in your heart and in your life. Don't you remember what Jesus said? God can raise up children of Abraham out of stones as he wants to. Oh, but the true gift, the real gift, is that God takes a heart of stone and by the power of his Spirit and the gospel turns it into a heart of flesh. Do you see the blessing you have? I mean, do you see not only... I mean, Jesus could have just left you at neutral and been fine. Still been merciful. But he went 
further. He gave you the Spirit. You've received the Spirit of God. What a blessing. What a joy. What an amazing God our God is. That He would save us in this way. All around you, you feel the weight of the curse. I know you do. I know you feel it. I know you feel the anxiety of it. I know you feel the weight of the curse on this world. But I want you to know, believer, you're not cursed. You're not cursed. You're blessed. You're, you're still living out some of the ramifications of sin in this life. Jesus doesn't just zoom us straight up to heaven. But you're not cursed. You're blessed through faith in Jesus. And I want you to know, oh unbeliever, you don't have to be cursed. You can receive grace by faith in Jesus. You can be blessed in Him. Stop going to the law to try to earn your blessings. Run to Jesus and receive blessing by grace. Flee and fly in repentance from the curse of sin and the curse of the law and go receive grace from Jesus by faith. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him. He will save you. For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust Him. He will save you. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in Him without delay and you are fully blessed. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. This morning, I hope you'll respond to Jesus. Whether as an unbeliever, I pray that you'll put your faith in Him for the first time. As a believer, I hope and pray you'll respond to Him in faith again. And perhaps you're looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.